what we've got here is failure to communicate. From sunny Southern California, we bring you Meet Bridget, a podcast for building confident communication and female badassery. We spotlight women who have bridged the gaps in their lives by building strong relationships and speaking their teenage dreams into reality. So prevention is the cure. You know, always thinking about your cells and thinking about your body and treating it well, saying thank you and not abusing it. Welcome back to Meet Bridget. Today's episode is another incredible interview episode. Today, we're so excited to have Dr. Holly Lucille on the podcast. Dr. Holly Lucille, NDRN, is a nationally recognized and licensed naturopathic doctor educator, natural products consultant, and television and radio host. She is also the author of several books and as an acclaimed expert in the field of integrative medicine, Dr. Lucille has made appearances on many notable national media programs and networks such as ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, Dr. Oz, The Doctors, Lifetime, and the Discovery Health Channel. She is regularly quoted as an expert in both consumer and peer journals and is now the host of Mindful Medicine, a podcast on Radio MD and iTunes. She believes in the science, art, and mystery of healing and has a heartfelt passion for the individual wellness of all people. Built on this foundational belief, she uses the magnificence of multiple media platforms to truly make a difference and empower people to be their own primary care providers and heal. She currently practices at a private concierge integrative clinic in Los Angeles, where she focuses on comprehensive naturopathic medicine and individualized care following the rigor of science, the power of nature, and the essence of care. And I personally have had the gift and the honor of working with Dr. Lucille and building a wonderful, deep, beautiful friendship with her. And we are so looking forward to sharing her lion heart and unparalleled expertise with all of you today. Without further ado, meet Dr. Holly Lucille. Woo-hoo. Thank you for that. Thanks for having <laughs> me. I'm so happy to be here. We are so excited to have you. Let's take it away. How was your day today? It was good. It was good. I think after a long <laughs> week, it was after a long weekend and and sort of getting back into, you know, sort of obligations and such. It's a little chunky at first. And you're like, is it Tuesday? Is it Monday? Is it Wednesday? Is it Thursday? Is it the weekend again here almost? Like, please, please, please let it be. Yeah. Um, so what we love to share with our listeners are the formative experiences. And usually that starts with childhood, but we really are so interested in the teen years and formative experiences that create the framework for who you are. So I know and love you and know a little bit about your childhood and your background, but please share with our listeners who Dr. Holly Lucille is. (laughs) Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, sharing, I think is really important and um, I I appreciate the opportunity to do so. You know, it's funny because you think with the lifestyle that I was brought up in, you know, white middle class, upper middle class, I would say. provided for, for, you know, tons of stuff. Um, I struggled. I did. Um, because I was the the middle of three girls. Um, my mom and dad actually told me that they had me because my older sister needed a playmate and it's kind of how that, that went down a bit. Um, my parents as lovely as they were, 
both of them have passed, um, I feel like they kind of had children and went on with their lives. And from what I know now as an adult person, didn't have the curiosity or the um, attention or the parental skills to 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 care for a kid, like a, a small independent or not independent, excuse me, I should say very dependent person. And I think it rocked my sisters and my world a bit, you know, and of course you don't feel those things until you're later on in life because you don't know what normal is. You, you, normal is what you're experiencing. It's like, you know, you, there's until you get into there are more stimulus in your life and relationships and opportunities and obligations and jobs and schools and stuff. It's like where you're like, what is, you know, I mean, I, I'll quote, it's like, I wanted to say what was wrong with me, but um, Oprah wrote a book with, um, I, I forget his name, but it's like, that's the wrong question. You should say what happened to you, right? Not what's wrong with you. What happened to you? Really super important question. And not that anything happened to me, but it's like, I think those formative years, as you talk about, are super important. And I, I think I was just truly neglected. I had a, I was a kid with a tremendous amount of talent, um, athletically, musically. Um, and I just didn't have parents that uh, paid attention to that or was like, you know, let's get you like, I, I, when I, when I found out like 20, 30 years later where Berkeley, you go to school for music. I was like, wait, what you could do? What? Like, there was like, I was just like, you can, you know, you can do that. I mean, it was incredible to me. And so that I think was really something that um, formed my life. Um, I started to, you know, I lived in the Midwest and I started to have crushes on my school friends. So I, I and, and the only thing that I knew about being gay at that time uh, was I thought literally, and this is a true story that I needed to drive a diesel truck and wear a wallet with a chain. Like I was as homophobic as you could get. I didn't understand. I didn't know, have any knowledge about it, but I knew my feelings, right? Like, and so that created another dissonance for my um, developmental stumbling and growth and, and all of that. So in, in a nutshell, besides, you know, being quite provided for, um, and such, uh, that, that shaped basically who I am today. Those, those little things, those formative years, those were uh, a couple of things. My parents just started being checked out and as a middle child, and then I kind of became their caretaker. I mean, at a very young age, I was the one that, um, was very concerned about them and their health. And that burden on me was sought throughout until they, they both passed. Like, I, I mean, I hate to say it, but when my mom and dad passed, there was of course a lot of grief and sorrow about it. For me, there was a lot of relief. Um, there was not the terrors every day, every night about what was going to happen to them because of their own neglectful behavior to themselves. And so, Sorry, that was a long answer, but I have so many questions. What's the age difference with your sisters? Yeah, so my older sister is just 18 months older than I am, okay. and then my younger sister is 4 years younger than I. Okay. So, no. Jody was 18 months older, yes, and and Heidi is uh is 4 years younger. Okay. And what were what were your parents um doing? You mentioned they just kind of like went back to work. What professions were they in? So they're both pharmacists. 
Um, my dad climbed the corporate ladder of the Upjohn Company, which is one of the, I think, largest pharmaceutical companies at the time, certainly bought out by Pfizer or something else now. And then my, my mom worked as a, a registered pharmacist and she loved it. Uh, she loved her people, her patients. Uh, you know, it's like, I think that she found her herself and her life there, um, caring for these underserved people. She, she'd work in, in the, in the, um, impoverished areas of where, wherever we lived. Cause we moved around quite a bit because of my dad's career. Um, but, but she loved it. And I think it was also, to be honest with you, to be completely transparent, it was a way for her to get away from my dad, who was, um, not a nice guy. He was funny, lovely, and angry. And, um, I think that, you know, she, I, I remember her having a, a retirement party and she like within three days went back to work. <laughs> Because <laughs> my dad took early retirement. She's like, no, this is not for me. My dad traveled every week. Like he'd leave on Tuesday, maybe come home Thursday, Friday. And I think it's what kept their marriage together. Because I think that they were married over 50 years, but probably 45 too, too long. So of all this craziness, what, okay, I, my questions are, are you close to your sisters? And also, um, what do you take away from your parents? Because you're one of the most vibrant, vibrant people in my life. So, and it has to come, you know, it comes from somewhere. So whether it's like the adaptability comes from moving a lot or what would you say you take away from your mom and dad? Well, I think when you grow up, no matter what, you have your parents inside of you, whether you like it or not. And you have to figure that out. You know, I mean, I have a, a wife who could call me little Doyle at times because I have little Doyle inside of me. Doyle's my dad's name, meaning, um, short tempered, hot. If I, if I get, um, if I get scared, I get angry. Right. You know, so it's like your parents are inside of you and, and my mom, you know, she's creative and she's compassionate and lovely and love crafts and stuff like, so, now that they're past and, and everything has happened, like I, I tease out the great parts of them. I mean, but what they were doing when I was growing up was partying for the most part. I mean, they were just like the, the, you know, they had their friend group and they just, they had the Ohio state Buckeyes whom they uh, determined where it would be the focus of their, like for a good 20, 30 years. Um, they were huge Ohio state Buckeye fans, even when they moved to Michigan, which like was one of the worst parts of, my teenage years because of the rivalry that was going on at that point in time. But when you have your parents inside of you, I think what's really important, you know, as an adult is to, I mean, certainly take the best qualities of them, but also get help for the things that you might've missed, like the neglect that I had. And I did that. That's one of the, the, the biggest things that I've done in my life that I'm most proud of is I knew when I like first started to get into relationships that I had no boundaries that I really had no um, I had no modeling for a positive and good be, uh, you know uh, relationship at all, and I, I got help and I've I've it's to this day I see a therapist now twice a week because you know it's almost like people say like you know you seem so as you would say Kashia like vibrant and healthy why would you why would somebody like you need to see a therapist. It's like, it's almost like somebody who trains for, you know, the Olympics, or if you're like, why would you train? You seem so fit. You know, it's like, you, you, you have to keep this up, especially in the field that I'm in. Um, I want to be able to help contain 
people's emotions and I want to tolerate my own. And so that work to me became super, super, super important to me, even though I didn't know it at the time. Um, and so that that's just been a longstanding thing for me is that I believe in my own mental health and my own mind being able to be shaped and healed more and more every day that comes by. Mental health is not something to correct when it goes awry, but as a constant, continuous um, thing that you invest in, in yourself, um, I think it couldn't be more timely right now. I I feel like uh, left and right, I mean, people are struggling right now. It's been a lot for people. So, um, I mean, I I think that is a powerful statement that it's it's something that you believe in um, continuously investing in. What were you and your sisters doing when your parents were off partying? Like how, (laughs) on a macro and micro level, like how did you, you know, figure it out? You know, I think that we didn't understand how, I mean, it's an overused term dysfunctional our family was um, at the time. I mean, I can't remember really having any dinners together for the most part. Um, I was involved in a lot of sports and so that kind of saved me. And then I think for my sisters, um, you know, my younger sister got you know heavily involved in drugs. I developed a very, you know, sort of poignant yet uh, elongated eating disorder. Um, my older sister, same thing. You just, just struggles in trying to cope. And I, I personally started to adopt maternal figures. You know, I would find like my, I would go to middle school and I, I got to skip gym because I was in so many sports. And so I'd be the health room helper and the woman who run the health room, like she, Mrs. Postula, like I I just heard she passed like a couple weeks ago, but she became like one of those surrogate moms that I would just pick up. And I did it all the time. There was a person that worked with my mom and she was uh, probably a decade younger than my mom, but I would, I just, I would adopt these surrogate people and kind of like uh, I, I was almost like I, it was a joke that I'd, I was running around with my umbilical cord going like, are you my mom? Are you my mom? Are you my mom? Like, <laughs> it was, um, I was just trying to plug in somewhere. And so, and it, it, it honestly got confusing with me because with my sexuality, I was like, am I liking these people because they're women or am I liking these people because I have such a yearning for a maternal figure in my life? And so that all became confusing with almost every relationship that I would stumble into because I'm like, what's going on here? Like, what is, where, what is this admiration or what are these feelings? And so those took a lot to sort of unpack and such. And so, yeah, I, I was basically having my umbilical cord in my hand for a lot of years, wondering what the heck was going on. (laughs) Trying to figure it out. Did your parents know what was going on with you at all? Like, did you ever talk to them about any of the struggles you might have been having with your sexuality or? No, I mean, no, not at all. Uh, My parents were like super, super, super checked out. And in fact, when I was like brave enough, I I stumbled upon, and this was well into college back then, um, my first girlfriend that I, you know, really felt, uh, I told my, I, I chose to 
well, I chose to tell my older sister, which was a mistake because she basically disowned me and like asked me not to come to the next family get together. And then, so I told my mom, um, because I was away from this person at the, at one time and I was at my grandmother's at Easter or something like that. And I told my mom, cause she's like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, well, Wendy and I are, you know, more than just friends. And <laughs> her response was, does Wendy know? And I'm like, oh gosh, this is, this is, you know, I'm like, this is not going to go well. And so yeah. then my dad, he basically disowned me for, I would say four years. It was like, and each year I would come to him and go, Hey, and then I, I send him a book called, you know, beyond acceptance. And, and then years went by, like, you know, years went by and like, I sort of became like the black sheep that did well. And when, by the time my parents passed or like 10 years later, like everything was great. You know, I was, it was fine. I would, you know, I'd have partners, long-term partners. And certainly my wife, Julie, now would come home and it was all great. But in the beginning it was, you know, for still a growing child, teenager, young adult, it was devastating to just not really have that parental support. And especially being in the Midwest um, and and being homophobic yourself, like not having any idea about what this really means, what this is, like, is this normal? You feel so uh, incredibly outcasted and um, deviant and so many things where you just start to be your own self-perpetrator. Like, I mean, it's, it's rough. So I got into substance abuse. I got into eating disorders, like you name it. I was going to try to get out of what I was feeling, which was so awful at the time. How old were you, Holly, when this was going on? Well, you know, I struggled through my teenage years because when you hit puberty, all of that stuff starts to kick in. But unlike today where, you know, at three years old, people are like, oh, he's so, he's like, you know, you can pick up on, you know, their, who they're going to be for the most part. This was well into my twenties, right? So I would say that in my high school years, I felt more adult-like because I had some responsibilities of caring for my parents and my mom. And then I, I went off to college and was by myself and I sort of lost it for a long, long time, like four to six years. And it took me actually six years to get my bachelor's degree because there was a lot of moving around. There was a lot of me trying to figure out what the heck was going on. And, um, uh, that was the most, the most painful part for the most part. Yeah. It was just like, I, I was out on my own and I didn't have anybody to take care of except myself. And I certainly didn't know how the start of doing that, you know, in fact, my first job, I, I, my bachelor's degree was in nursing and, and my first job, um, I, I'll, I'll never forget my friend Beata, 20, 25 years older than I said something like, well, I think she said something like take care. And I was like, if I, if I, if, if I even knew how to do that, <laughs> I would <laughs> like, she said something like, so like off the cuff, but I, I, it hit me. Like, I don't know how to care for myself. I just, I don't know. Like I have to start learning. Cause this is like a, this is going to go South fast if I don't. So, and then that's when I started to see a therapist and just kind of talk out things and they get more into analysis and such. And, you know, I mean, I, Believe you me, it, I'm sure it saved my life many times over. Did you find, you know, when you were, you started seeing a therapist, was there some sort of like community that you plugged into or um, did you find, because clearly like at that time your family wasn't really accepting in the way that, that 
you needed? Did you find people to? I did. I mean, so that I graduated from, from college and it was probably, I started, I was in a band. It was a band that I kind of started and those were my people. And it was probably to this day, some of the best years of my life. Um, and I was still, I was still getting help in seeing, seeing a therapist, but I started playing music and, um, this was just something that I loved so much. Like I I had a full-time job, but on the weekends, like I I remember I would rent the PA equipment and have it set up in my house and everybody would come over six pack of beer and we'd rehearse. And then we started playing gigs out and it was just so fun. And those were my friends, you know, and I just, I became kind of in that, but it was weird. You know, my parents would write this, um, this is kind of telling my parents would write this, you know, that form letter at Christmas or those holidays. And unless it wasn't like that perfect thing, I'm like, cause they'd ask for our input. And I was like, well, here's what I'm doing. And they would like, leave it out. You know, I'm like, what about me? Like playing with my band? Like, this is cool. It's like, Holly's a nurse. Isn't that great? It's like, it was just like that weird, like sort of old school, like we just want, you know, and then, you know, like my, my older sister got divorced and like, that's when the, the letter entirely stopped because they're not going to report that. You know, it's like there was no humility about just being alive and having, you know, I think my parents had a, a very short tolerance for their feelings. And, and I think that was kind of one of the things that was handed down to us. Like we, we weren't able to explore the human experience of having guilt or love or hate or envy or, you know, embarrassment or any of those things that you, you know, you get to be an adult, you don't have a a muscle for them and you start making a mess of your life because you don't. And so it it was one of the things that I think that we, we, we really were as children shortchanged with all due respect to my lovely fun laughable, incredible parents. <laughs> <laughs> it's so interesting. So you chose to, um, so your, your bachelor's degree was in nursing after your parents were pharmacists and it was all like, you know, medical fields. Um, but then hearing you describe, you know, at the same, you're, you're from a family that cares for other people. You're going into a degree that cares for other people, but having kind of that trouble taking care of yourself in a, in a, holistic way. Can you talk a little bit about um, your experience of of nursing and your first few jobs um, and how you started kind of finding your way? Yeah, so that's a great question. So for me, I um, was always with my parents. I, I just there, I kind of felt like I was a common denominator of all of the rifts that I got into because I felt like there was more to healthcare than just here, take this. And of course, my parents you know, they had stuff lying around from all of their vendors or what have you. And it's like, just here, put this on your cut or here, you know, take an, you know, Motrin, which was the branded name of the Upjohn company's ibuprofen. And it's like, that was it. That was my healthcare. I mean, I, I walked around on a broken ankle for, I could not fit inside of a shoe. I broke it during soccer and my parents didn't have the wherewithal. And this is a true story. I'm not like embellishing this, like to take me to the doctors, I couldn't fit into a shoe. So it was like a week and a half that I wore a sock, a couple big socks to school. And it wasn't until I got into sports and then had, I had x-rays like, when did you break your ankle? And I was like, mm, 
when did I break my ankle? <laughs> so this is like, this is the, 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 the sort of like, you know, like there was a point in time and like, I'll just tell a story because I'm sure people can relate. Um, I, w- I got really into athletics and I was doing triathlons and um, I needed braces. And my dad's like, you can have a bike or braces. And I'm like, who gives that? I mean, of course I'm going to say, I'm like, yes, I'll have a triathlon bike. Like, but who gives the choice of that? It's like, yeah, I need braces. So as an adult, I got braces. Like I had Invisalign, like, and I pushed everything back and up and did it all by myself. When I finished my bachelor's degree, I felt the same way with my education as a nurse that I felt with my parents as a child. And I was like, there's, there's gotta be more. And then I also piled on because I thought, well, I am the common denominator. Like I am a miserable individual, but then there was this life defining moment. So I, you know, I'm sure I was on a mailing list from spirit dreams in grand rapids michigan that was down the street it's a store and the catalog called the omega institute came to my my door and it's the omega institute is in new york and it's got all of these like classes and such and i was like you know just just reading through it and i was like holistic nursing what's holistic nursing and there's a number so i called the number and the executive director of the american holistic nursing association picked up of course, this is years ago, so I'm sure that the organization was like this, like small, 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 this big. And she talked to me for a long, long time. And two weeks later, I was on a plane going to Milwaukee to enter my post-grad certification courses in holistic nursing. And it changed my life. Like when I entered that first conference, it was like coming as a, an adult soul coming home for the first time, like realizing that you could look at things in a much more comprehensive way, that you could see ties from um, contributing factors to illness that you even like mental illness that you could, you know, have theories and more universal terms about things. And it was just like, I was, I just was like, it was a life changing aha. Like that magazine coming to my, my door was just life changing for me. And it was actually through the journal of American, the American holistic nursing association journal that I read about naturopathic medicine. And I was like, well, what the heck is this? And then that was my like sort of next natural step. So so I feel like a lot of people in, uh, in our audience uh, might never have heard about naturopathy or in- integrative medicine. They don't exactly know what it is. They know maybe it's a little more natural, <laughs> than, you know, the traditional pop a pill medicine approach. Can you, in really simple terms, break that down? Yeah, I hope you? so by this time. You know, dossier in Latin means to teach. So this is what I've been doing. So dossier is doctor in Latin. So this is what I've been doing my entire career is just teaching about different systems of medicine. And and truly there are. And, you know, I think for the most part in conventional allopathic medicine, you know, that's run by our third, third party payer insurance companies, we're all used to it, right? We're used to going to the doctor and they tell us, you know, do this and we do it. And that's pretty much our healthcare. Um, and, but it's very reductionistic. So mostly people in that system of medicine are reduced to either a sign, a symptom, a lab test, a diagnosis, and then there's a treatment. And these days it's mostly a pharmaceutical agent or like a procedure or surgery. And don't get me wrong. Those things are extremely important. I think there's value in all systems of medicine and, and, and Western allopathic reductionary medicine has saved my life. Like I was in a horrible motorcycle accident. I had a sequel volvulus two years ago. I've had breast cancer. We can get into that. But, 
you know, those things are important, but when it comes to ailments of our modern day, so I'm talking about endocrine, you know, disorders like hormonal imbalances, digestive disturbances, sleep, insomnia, stress. I think a more comprehensive way of looking at those things to, to get to the root cause instead of like, let's say a woman is going through menopause. This is one of my big things, right? And you're like, oh, you're depressed. Here's an SSRI. It's like, no, there are so many things going on at that period that need to be understood by the caretaker and by you know the practitioner and, and the patient in, in therapeutic relationship. And we need to talk about them thoroughly. And so with naturopathic medicine, we've got some principles. Identify and treat the cause. So don't just suppress symptoms. Treat the whole person. So we're not just looking at the body. We're looking at the mind, the spirit, however they want their relationships, you know, however we want to relate. Um, prevention is the cure. So just kind of looking out as like, look, you know, here in this high stress job, how is this sustainable? Doctor is teacher. So always, instead of here, take this, hopefully influence people, not with just education, but trying to facilitate understanding. So they're like, oh, so they can own it. You know, there's a difference between, I would say compliance, right? She told me to do this or adherence, which is like a faithful attachment to something like I'm going to be asking somebody to make dietary changes, lifestyle interventions, maybe evidence-based dosage in botanical or clinical medicines, sometimes between meals, multiple times throughout the day. That's not easy medicine. Here, take this as easy medicine. So if I can say, look, we're going to get to, you know, get you where you want to go and where you desire to be, but it's not here, take this. You got to have some skin in the game. And so that's a system of medicine that I sort of have been kind of, well, I've, ed I've been educated in, but I've been rolling around in for the last decade, two decades, 20 years. So this is, this is what I have always loved about working with you. And I will like shout your name from the rooftops because for myself as an RN who, you know, has kind of moved out of the traditional RN space, we work together in this private concierge world where you get to practice a little bit more mindfully. And so if you could just tell everyone a little bit more about what the term health means to you and you kind of you kind of touched on that a little bit and maybe some myths that you hear constantly about naturopathy versus uh, traditional medicine um, and kind of break that down a little bit for us yeah so i hate to put you on the spot here but i actually think of traditional medicine as what i do conventional medicine is what we're used to now mm -hmm. just for clarification on terms because as you well know because i'm so particular on these things, but traditional medicine is like, you know, using like more plants and, and like traditionally that's what we did. And then, you know, things have evolved into this sort of, you know, uh, medicine that's sort of like, I, I just, I, if we could take the money away, you know, it's so, um, profiteering it's, it's profits before people. And that's, what's always gotten me sort of upset. But I think some of the myths is that it's kind of sort of woo woo right? And, or, uh, you know, I hear alternative and, and, and sometimes I'm like alternative to what, and, and, you know, integrative, you know, I always like to say it's integrative. It's like, because you really think things through one of the taglines that I've had throughout my career is, and I, I, I made it up because my patients helped me. It's like, let, you know, let's just think this through. Let's put the dots together and connect them. The body is a brilliant, amazing, wonderful thing. And it does have an inherent ability to heal. 
what we have to do if something clinically is up and there are symptoms and, and signs is understand what are obstacles to that body doing its job of healing itself, always wanting to come back into balance, always wanting to come back in equilibrium. So does it take a little bit of time? Does it take, you know, sort of like putting on your sleuth hat and figuring things out? It does. It, does it take remembering your endocrinology, remembering your cofactors? You know, if you take a biochemistry class, it is like taking a nutrition class. You have to understand what are these cofactors that drive your biochemistry, how you live, like how you're, how I can tell my finger to go up right now, how I can focus my eyes, how my liver is detoxifying right now. And in conventional medical school, nutrition is like a sliver, if anything, in, in the curriculum. And so for me, you know, especially working at this, you know, high-end concierge practice with um, primary care docs that are caring for these people that have access to them, I have yet once, you know, delivered a recommendation that has not have an evidence article behind it. You know, if I want to use Boswellia for joint pain or for Crohn's disease or for ulcerative colitis, you know, it's like, I will show them. So this is evidence-based medicine. The problem is, you know, in our, I think our society is you can't patent a natural substance, right? So therefore, if it's not patentable, what, what, what can't you do with it? You can't make a whole heck of a lot of money. So, I mean, I hate to shout, shout from the rooftops or, or, or get on my soapbox, but I think that's part of the problem in truly helping people heal and having healthcare. And, 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 and when you talk about health, it's interesting. I, I tried to look at that word up in the dictionary once because it was on a presentation that I was, I had already named that I was going to give, but I hadn't written the presentation yet. I just wrote the title and I was like, what does health mean? And I was so underwhelmed with, cause it, it seemed like good or bad, you know, like right or wrong. And I came across this word eudaimonia, like you as in euphoria or good, like are you thyroid? Like it's okay. And demonia is spirit, like just good spirit, like humans flourishing. Um, I was so excited about that word that I actually had it tattooed on my arm, um, which you can't see, but so, but it's like, and that's how I really feel. It's like, I don't care if you're 30 pounds overweight, you know, are, are you healthy inside? Do you have a good spirit? You know, how can you move around and be with your children, grandchildren? Are you where you want to be? You know, how long do you want to live? Like, you know, it's not these metrics that we go by as far as like reference range labs, right? It's like, oh, your cholesterol is high. Okay, well, let's think about that. But who are you as a person and how is your spirit? And that, that's one of the biggest drivers for the, the work that I do, in, in my opinion. What are some things that you do in your personal life to maintain that sense of eudaimonia? Is that the word? Eudaimonia, yeah. I think one of the biggest things and I just experienced this like a couple of weeks ago that that is really helpful is that you only know to get in balance when when you figure out you're out of balance. And I think that in nature, the tide goes out and the tide comes in, right? There's the ebb and flow of everything. There's seasons. And, you know, if I wish I could say I wake up and I'm perfect every day, but I, I'm not like I got a little bit too much on my plate like the other week. And it showed in my personality. It showed in my sleep. It showed in my you know, ability to work out. And it, but it was something that I was able just because of my experience to catch quicker and then reset and say, you know what? I probably shouldn't have said yes to that. 
um, I got excited because of this, like, and go back and kind of do an autopsy about it. It's like, how did I end up here? So you learn a little bit more. And so then for the most part, my physical health is really important to me and exercising has always been really important to me. So that's, that's something that helps me with my stress as, you know, just any, you know, sort of, it's just, it's just something that's been there. It's like, I love to move. And, um, the other thing is, is staying with my therapist twice a week. That's very, very important to me. Um, I've gotten into tapping recently, um, tapping solution, uh, I just, I'm not a great like sitter downer, right? So meditating has been um, one of those things that eh, is sort of like, it sounds good when you say it really fast, but for me, so tapping because it's actually a, a more kinesthetic thing and I can, like I, I'm doing something um, at the same time affirming things, like whether it's my anxiety uh or anything else going on, that's been something that's been really, really helpful. And I've been more consistent at in the last, um, you know, several years, that's been very, very helpful. Can you break down tapping really quick for our audience? Can you just tell them? So I guess you could pull in then, you know, traditional Chinese medicine, so meridians, right? And there's the points, you know, whether on the top of the head, the top of the brows, under the eyes, under the chin, and there's where you can actually say you, you first, when you're tapping, kind of affirm like, hey, what's going on? Like whether your anxiety is there, you're, you know, you can't get to sleep or what have you. And then you move on and it's guided and, um, and you move on to really allowing yourself to just be there in that space and time and, and, and be struggling with that issue. And then almost like the next sort of series of tapping is just letting it go. And so it's sort of a mind-body connection of being able to tap at these um meridian points in acupuncture, you know, you could name them or acupressure, you could name them. And it's pretty amazing when you start, like, or I should say when I start a tapping sequence and I know how I feel. And then I know how I feel after just like the 11 minutes of tapping, it's rewarding enough to like, I'm going to do that again. <laughs> so only, even if it's unexplicable, inexplicable, I should say, um, it's something that I feel like is really effective, especially for folks who struggle with that whole meditative state where you don't know what to do with your thoughts. Like, am I supposed to ignore my thoughts? Why are my thoughts here? Like, you know, we get so confused, I think as a whole in like, how do we meditate? And then people throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm like, I can't do that. T tapping for me, just being a more kinesthetic person has helped me, um, to kind of take a break. So I, I use it a lot between the transition of coming home from work and also now driving in traffic and, and then, and then, um, having my, my, my family time and my, my, my home time and such. And then I also, as Kashia said, uh, I have hobbies that I, as I've grown older are really near and dear to me. Like I play uh, in a band with my wife and as well, I have a very prolific garden that um, I learned a lot from as well. Yes, which I hope has made a comeback since the coyotes got to them. Yes. yes. I mean, I love, I'm one of those people that cannot, I'm not a good meditator either. I'm not a good sitter unless I'm just laying down staring at my ceiling, but that's kind of when thoughts fester. So I love the idea of having something a little bit more actionable, but still peaceful where you can reconnect and realign mind body because for some of us it's you know there's almost like a um attention deficit 
component of it where like your mind's racing so much that you just need something to refocus is and the physical component can be really very very helpful yeah i i love that as an option like i i struggle with that too and for me it's like going on a walk helps and it's like okay i'm gonna force myself to be present by just like paying attention to what's around me but my body's taken care of because it has this rhythm and it's just going to keep doing it but you can't always just all of those things are so important you know whether it's a like and i think people should just name what it is for them you know like whatever it is like you know some people come home and just like you know i'm going to cook um and that's what's going to transition or what 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 makes me feel a little bit more centered or garden or walk or tap um i think there's a lot of dogma out there right now as far as some sometimes the shoulds you know and i think that people are really mindful enough if they think about it to make up their own sort of cadence of how they can relax and certainly if not they can get help but i do believe i was listening to a podcast the other day and it was funny because it wasn't what i thought it was going to be it was like these really profound yoga people that were basically like, I can't stand gratitude journals. And they were like bashing gratitude journals. And it was funny in a sense because because of the way that they framed it and they couldn't keep up with it. And then I feel like people get in that trap where it's like, okay, I'm going to journal for 30 days every day about what I'm grateful for. And, and it's like I said, it sounds good when you say it really fast, but okay, life happens. And let's say the sixth day, you don't get it in. And then all of a sudden there's another pile on, like, I can't even be grateful. And, um, and I, I think people should give themselves a break and also think about like, Hey, why didn't that work? And then what does work really, what does work for you? You know, because we all are, I know we all are are super grateful for even like the littlest things. Um, but if, 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 if you're like, okay, that sounds great. I'm going to heal myself by being grateful for 30 days and it doesn't work does it do more harm than good? And I always just like want people to tap into like, what, what, what's going to work for you in, in your life, in your lifestyle, you know, in your pace of how you live your life and come up with those things, you know, like checking in with yourself and like reevaluating. Yeah. Yeah. So medicine, as we know, all medicine, um, my belief is that just like any other industry, a lot of medicine has been capitalized upon. And you kind of touched on that. And I don't want to dive too too much into that, but it is true that it can be cost prohibitive. So we want to kind of hone in on some things that might reframe simple ways or, you know, actionable ways for anyone, especially our audience, to reclaim the driver's seat, if you will, for their own health journeys, which is something you are the expert in. So. Yeah. Well, I've always said, you know, this whole, you know, when I've, when I was on the lecture circuit and I would go out and it's like, how many people have a primary care provider? And I'd ask people to raise their hands and, you know, like, you know, like a good 78, 90% of the population would say yes. And I'm like, I think everybody should raise their hand because I think you all should be primarily in charge of providing care for yourself. Can we, can we roll in and, 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 and hire and, you know, envelop partners in that process? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, I feel like the way that our medical society has set itself up is that 
the person is left to the hierarchy sort of franchise of the doctor says this and I do what they say and that there's no power left. And if you could understand how much power you have over your body and over your health, each and each and every one of us individually, it would change the game. And there are simple, simple things. And I know people know out there, like their behaviors as far as, um, you know, food. I mean, we could do another podcast about food because it's so much in our society and it's much more than nourishment. It's, it's, you know, a drug, it's celebratory, it's social, it's a, it's, it's a, a numbing agent. Um, we want to use food as medicine at a lot of times. And so, but how you nourish yourself, um, you know, the, the, the water that you drink, the air that you breathe, the sleep that you get, the, the, the movement that you have, all of those things, um, you know, we can make health a lot, the health care, like really caring about your health a lot, lot easier um, if people would just understand that they have so much more control than they do right now. That's the big mover for me. It's just that understanding. I feel like especially for a younger audience, you know, that feeling of I'll do what the doctors tell me or I'll do what my parents have demonstrated for me. You know, that feeling of empowerment that like, okay, this is my body. I'm an individual and I can, you know, set this foundation for myself. For a lot of people, it doesn't come till much later than it seems like it can. Do you see uh, patterns or problems in patients that, you know, started from things that they were doing in their adolescence? And Absolutely. I mean, I, it's kind of a touchy subject and I'm not an anti-vaxxer at all. Um, but I think that, you know, some of the prescribed vaccinations throughout the years, even, you know, for HPV and such, or some of the sexually transmitted diseases, it's like, there should be a little bit more thought around it because there are consequences. And instead of just like, you know, you're 13, you get this, you know, let's think about this, you know, and what are we actually trying to prevent? And then also what are, you know, you know, use the least invasive methods to diagnose and treat. So are we educating about safe sex and other, you know, sexually transmitted diseases and, um, behaviors, et cetera. Um, I think that that information, instead of like, you're this age, you get this vaccination. Let's just look at it. You know, you know, there's many people throughout my career where, like I said, I think vaccinations are important, but do we need to do them all in one fell swoop? Can we have this, you know, more relaxed schedule around them and understand individuality and responses to them and, and such. And so, I just think it's super important for people to understand that they owe, own their own healthcare. And I think that should be a message from the very, very beginning um, that, you know, our doctors work for us, our healthcare practitioners work for us. And that's, that's the relationship, not the other way around. And it's been so cattywampus for a long, long time that um, I just think that 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 messaging needs to change and, and young people especially need to be empowered. You know, one of the things I think it's on my very stripped down website at this point in time, but um, it's Dr. Holly Lucille's like number one health tip and it's I statements. It's basically like, you know, being able to say, you know, my doctor recommended this for me, but I'm choosing to take it or, you know, my doctor rendered this, but I'm going to think about it and do a little bit of a reading. Um, and then I'll come back to it. It's like, I'm choosing so so many people over my career would come in as like, well, they told me to do this. And well, you know, he said this and I'm like, it's so unconscious, but it's so true that they've, these people have given up their power to these 
quote unquote doctors and just flip the script and say, you know, you know, he told me to take X, Y, and Z, or they told me to take X, Y, and Z, but you know, I'm going to think about it. And I think X is probably going to be good. I'm going to wait and see how I feel about Y and Z. And that means that you chose to take that. You are choosing what you put in your body. You're choosing that. And that is empowering all in and of in itself. And I just want to see a lot bit more of that. I love that too, because I mean, we do as a society, we look toward doctors as experts of the body. But I think one of the components that's missing from conventional medicine is that we should be experts of our own body, as you, sh as you said. And the reality is like, even when you go and get your labs drawn, your labs are a snapshot in time. You, when you walk into the doctor's office, you're walking in on that day with all of the weight of that particular day and everything that's happened to you just before and what's coming up just after on your shoulders. And so they are, you know, our doctors, even the very best doctors really depend on us as the patients and us as the individuals to understand and know our bodies well, because at the end of the day, whether you think you're in the driver's seat or not, you really are. And so unless, you know, you're taking account of, you know, this is how I've been feeling for, you know, X amount of days, or this is, you know, my pattern. I mean, nobody else is going to be able to say that except for you. Exactly. Very true. And the other way around, you know, I've had um, doctors at my current work, like say, introduce me just literally by email and or even just by a summary of this person and say, he's got metabolic syndrome. He needs to lose about 25 pounds. Can you help him? I'm like, sure. However, I need to understand how this person, what, who this person is, how they tick, you know, what makes them tick? How do they learn? How, you know, what are they feel around exercise? You know, how do they feel around food? Like, you know, certainly if you want to, you know, me to spit out a protocol for, you know, decreasing weight, increasing movement and, you know, helping metabolic syndrome. Yeah, sure. But who is that going to help? It's like nobody unless it's almost like a painter, right? You know, an artist, like you go up to them, just go up to them and go paint me something. Now go like, here's a canvas, just paint, like just paint. You, you know, they need, they, they have to have an inspiration for me. You know, my inspiration will always be the person in front of me and I can't work without them. There is absolutely no protocol. I call them wake up calls. There's no protocol in the world that can help anybody unless I have a therapeutic relationship with somebody who has skin in the game, who wants to do this with me and who wants to do that for themselves. Like that is the, the secret sauce. That is a sweet spot. And I believe that across the board, we can band-aid people together with med medicine and, and procedures. And, and, and here's the deal. There's no money when people are dead, right? And there's no money in wellness when people are healthy. The money is when you just get to get this little like place where people are just keep like that, that. That's where the, that's where the continuation is. And we're stuck in that so much, like, but to bust out of that and just really, truly live and be healthy and happy um, is where I'm always going to have my passion for folks to be. Okay. So in the spirit of proactive approaches to health and owning that, what are, if you could boil it down to three things, what are three things that you think 
everybody across the board should be doing. Like whether it's taking something, eating something, drinking something, like give us your three cents. (laughs) Yeah, I would say sleep. Uh, You know, I abused sleep and I was one of those um, I'll sleep when I die gals for a long, long time, but it truly is one of the best medicines. And so sleep hygiene, you know, as young as you can establish it, as a habit as you can establish it is going to be one of those things. Um, Unfortunately, but that is, that is definitely one. Two is laughter. I mean, you got to just heal with laughter, find your folks, find your funny, uh, find your ridiculousness and, and stay with it. But just <laughs> laughter is extremely important and movement. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot out there. I mean, a lot more, I could say hydration, all that stuff, but, um, uh, movement, um, getting, you know, uh, circulation and, and this, and, and I'll, I'll say this in so many different ways, even like, early onset, I've seen this throughout my career. There's now a new diagnosis, early onset cognitive decline. Okay. There's early onset macular degeneration. I believe it's because we're not getting circulation to the places where you need, right? Circulation gives the nutrients in the blood and the blood flow to the cells that we need. With our eyes for macular degeneration, we're not like running through the jungle, like moving our eyes. Everything is in front of us. Like people are in front of us. Zoom is in front of us. Books are in front of us. Our computer's in front of us. We're not exercise in our eye muscles anymore. So we are having quote unquote early onset cognitive decline, same thing, right? We have a lot of things given to us. We don't have to think very much anymore. I almost forgot how to do math the other day. It's like embarrassing. Um, we've got to keep moving in ways that we don't even like, we got to turn back. Like, you know, when we used to have a more natural relationship with stress, we would get home from our days or get done with our days, right? Not that everybody went out of the house. Like you can be a very important person, like a stay-at-home mom. And then what would we do? You'd have to go hunt and gather your food, go gather your water, start the firewood. We would we would burn off our catecholamines. And our catecholamines are those stress hormones that we kind of creep up during the day, perhaps. And that would help us have sleep pressure so we could get a better night's sleep. And so I think the way that we run um, wired but tired is something that movement will help with. And so movement, I think, is extremely important. Do you have any thoughts as to whether movement at the, like, in that, with that anecdote of, like, how we used to be, you know, as animals and as, you know, hunter-gatherers, do you find that movement's better early in the morning, late in the day, or it just doesn't matter? I think that's a very individualized thing. Like, I have to get up and get it done, right? And, but relaxation and stretching and mobility at the end of the day is important for me. So it's another sort of stress reliever. But I think that that question is very individualized. I know people that get off of work and can go work out. I I cannot imagine that self for myself, like at all. (laughs) Like if I don't get up and get her done, it's not going to happen. And I I have a feeling a lot of people are like, "Mm mm-hmm. But some people, because she like you, you, if you get home from work and go work out, that's great. And, and maybe, you know, and, and it's so funny. Like I was talking to a gentleman that is running a precision medicine clinic. And when we say precision medicine, you know, our genetics are all different. We're biochemistry, biochemically different. And there are those folks, you know, that I have seen people in my practice where pretty much same presentation, whether it's uterine fibroids or what have you, and similar modalities, one person will get better, the other person languishing a little bit. And I think that DNA testing and genetic testing, now that we have more access to it, now that it's 
more cost cost effective. Now that it's more cost effective, you know, I think precision medicine um, is a fun way to actually get more um, answers for yourself individually. And that's what I think naturopathic medicine also offers. Like, you know, we can have reference range labs all around. Like I have people, plenty of people coming in with vitamin D levels, like one click above rickets and your doctor's like, Oh, you're fine. It's 24. And the range is 24 to hundred. Is it, is it in, is it normal? It's normal from the reference range. Is it optimal? Not from the evidence, not from what I've seen when it drives immune, when it drives thyroid, when it drives all these other things that vitamin D does, it's not optimal. So we, we, we choose to use words like, you know, can we get you as an individual to be the optimally best and, there's other functional tests that can do that that aren't reference range. They actually have data on who you are, what your microbiome is, you know, what your nutritional status is that are much, much deeper, deeper involved in the individual process than just reference range labs. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, and, and for those of you who don't know, when Dr. Lucille mentions reference labs, that's like the normal values. Those are the normal standards that uh, conventional medicine typically looks at. So when you go into your doctor, you know, once a year, once every couple of years, and they run a test on your blood sugar, um, normal blood sugar should be anywhere from 60 to 100 in a normal person. And I, maybe that's a bad, maybe that's a bad example, because that's a pretty standard one. It dictates, you know, whether you're tired, hungry, if you're feeling dizzy or weak, maybe it's because your blood sugar level is dropping. But other labs, like your thyroid levels, may fall within a normal range for the general population. However, as I mentioned before, unless we're tracking you as an individual over several years, how do we know that you that's normal for you? And also, so much of our our body's processes are so dynamic, you know. And you, you think about how long that needle is in your is in your vein. It's like for a snapshot of that dynamic process. And it's during a day where what's the day versus the night and the, the diurnal rhythms that you have. It's like, so we can get a little bit more specific in, in root cause medicine. So root cause medicine means we're going to get to the root cause and cure and heal instead of suppress symptoms and just band-aid. And, and that's another little sort of linchpin about a, a system of medicine like naturopathic medicine. I have kind of a more personal question for you because, so I've shared on our podcast, um, I went through thyroid cancer and had my thyroid removed and treated and everything. Um, and part of that journey for me was, you know, the physical journey and getting opinions and going through surgery and everything. But there was also this emotional journey because I, you know, up to that point and still have always seen myself as a very proactively healthy person. Like I love yoga. I love nutrition. I fresh air, hiking, all the things. And then I was like, and then I was still a person that got cancer. And I think that kind of coming to peace with that, um, you know, has been a journey. Um, and I know you mentioned your breast cancer diagnosis. Can you talk a little bit about um, how that was for you? How you, you know, did you ever feel like you were self, you know, treating it? How, how was that for you? I mean, to be honest with you, I was devastated. So I found the lump myself and I it was during the pandemic. And so I, you know, my gynecology appointment had been moved twice because of the pandemic. And if people can't remember, like we were sort of on lockdown for a, a bit of time, right? So people weren't seeing people. And I knew I had an appointment with her five days later. And 
she rolled over the same lump and she's like, mm, and I said, she's like, you know what? I don't, she's like, it's, it needs to be assessed. So the first person that I had assess it basically told me it was nothing. Um, and this is kind of like part of the journey. And this is another kind of point that I just want to make sure that everybody hears is that, and I'm like, well, it's something, what is it? And he's like, I think it's just like trauma. And so when I got the written report, (laughs) it said trauma from an ill-fitting bra. And I'm like, well, this gentleman doesn't know me very well because if I had an ill-fitting bra on for more than three seconds, I certainly would not have it on long enough to create trauma in my breasts enough to like have this lump, right? So at five o'clock on like, like, like a very noticeable lump. So I, I, I called my gynecologist back and I was just like, I just, I'm not comfortable with this. And and I was so happy that, and look, I was so thrilled that I left his office and I'm like, I don't have breast cancer, which was the worry when you stumble upon a lump like that and your gynecologist confirms it. And of course I could have stuck my head in the sand. It was like, he said, I don't have breast cancer. I'm moving on with my life. Well, if I did, I probably wouldn't be here right now because I was like, I don't, I lifted up my arm. It would dimple. Like, I just was like, I don't think this is right. And I said, I wanted a second opinion. And the second opinion is really important. Um, and it's okay. You can smile and nod and tell your doctor. Thank you. I really appreciate your recommendation. I really appreciate your input. I I just need time to think about this. I might want to consult with somebody else. That is so perfectly okay to do somebody else, like another system of medicine, somebody else like myself, like somebody else. So I did, and we did a biopsy and sure enough, you know, the next day my breast surgeon called me. She's like, you have intra and outer ductal cancer. And I mean, same thing. Like I grow my own broccoli sprouts every day. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I like, what the heck? And so it certainly was one of those things that, well, I would say it's really important the stages. So it, you're kind of in shock and I, I'm probably sure Aisha, you were as well. Like, and then going through the procedures to deal with the cancer is also very, um, it's, uh, it's, it's consuming. It, it consumes your emotionality. It consumes your physicality. It, it consumes your intellect. Like you're going through it. I think it's later on that it's one of the worst things where it's like, wait, what, what just happened? You know, because then you're healing from the surgery, which is another thing that isn't anything. It's a lot, right? So healing from any surgery like that. And then it's just like, wait, what happened? Um, and then it's important, I think. So yeah, it was it was tough for me. I think it still is. I'm only a year out from my initial diagnosis. Um, I'm very uh, emphatic about you know loving uh, conventional oncology for taking care of the tumor. It's now my responsibility to understand my terrain, right? So if you think about an image of uh, a goldfish, right, swimming around in a in a in a filthy pond and that terrain not being good for the goldfish. And then you think about a goldfish being in like a, you know, when you used to go to junior high school and put the ping pong ball in and win the goldfish at the carnival fair in a, in, in, in clean water. And then putting that clean water bag in the filthy pond, it's like that goldfish is now in a better terrain than, and so it's our responsibility, I think, to understand like, okay, how did this cancer happen? Like, what can we do to, look at root cause, even when it comes to cancer, I mean, especially breast cancer, I mean, one, one in eight women at this point in time are being diagnosed every single day. So, and any other cancer. So I am still, I don't think I'm out of the weeds yet as far as my emotionality. I think sometimes it's still like I look, you know, those little moments you have with yourself, 
And you're just like, wait, what happened? <laughs> you're like, holy crap. I'm still there, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I feel that tension between, because I, I feel like, okay, the way that I approach my life will never be the same because that is something that I went through. However, I don't want to get stuck to it, you know, and feel like, oh, I had cancer, therefore this, you know, that it's um, something that you have to live with, but through at the same time. Yeah, there's a there's a certain loss of innocence, I think, to be honest with you. I mean, there is. Um, and at the same time, I think there is a devastation. Um, but, you know, but it's also one of those things, as you said, like that you're going to you're devastated, but you're going to live with it and get through it and, and be with it. You know, we're never going to be the people that we were before who hadn't been diagnosed with cancer. We have now been diagnosed with cancer. Um, and the C word has always been that connotated word. You know, it's like, but can we understand it better? Can we understand like what had happened? And then can we understand our pathways to more healing and health past everything we've been through? I think are important questions. I love that. And I think that could also be applied to a lot of different situations. I mean, in when you're thinking about health, I mean, I'm listening to both of you talk about your journeys with this. And there's a lot that resonates with me and what I went through with my miscarriage and the subsequent procedures that I had to have. It's this total lack and loss of control and that, you know, it doesn't matter how well you take care of your body, these things happen and how you get through them and how you sit with that and, you know, see yourself through these like waves of emotions and, you know, anxiety and tension and grief. It's, it, it can be done, but there's certainly, you know, peaks and valleys and thankfully a lot of resources. Yeah. I honestly, I feel like the only healthy way that I've found to really like understand it is that it was just profoundly humanizing that, you know, this is something that takes me down to that base level that I, other people have had this too, you know, and other things. And it doesn't matter how many good habits or practices or whatever you put into your life, you should do all those things. But at the end of the day, like we are human and this is something that at a really deep level can connect me to other people and together we can seek to make that experience better for someone else. I love that. My company's called Humility Inc. And it's like, I, when I, you know, you're going through the process of creating an organization, I was like, what should be called? I'm like, humility is probably one of the, the most fantastic characteristics that I enjoy in people. And I think this is helpful, you know, in, in, in helping to, to understand it and then also come to terms with it, but at the same time, make it personal and real and help other people. You know, it's like, for me, if I can't help other people, from going through something like that, it is for not like, I just, that is like, I'm looking for avenues everywhere to make a difference in this area, especially I think breast cancer, like one in eight women, it's just, there's something going on there that we have not put our finger on yet that we need to, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think women's health is, you know, it is its own specialty now, but from your perspective, sort of going back to that question I had earlier, are there things um, having lived in your body and having the the wealth of knowledge that you do 
Are there things that you could impart to some of our young women specifically about, you know, how they should take ownership of their own care or some misconceptions that you may have heard that you'd like to break down? I mean, I think Asia kind of hit it on the head. It's like thinking that you're omnipotent just because you're young and in your 20s and and feeling fine and feeling great um, until something, you know, like your backup is against the wall. So not taking that for granted to always paying attention, not thinking that you can like live on Red Bulls and, uh, you know, in the, during the day and, and alcohol at night, you know, medicating your sleep wake cycle, um, I think is a big one that I see young kids getting into sometimes. Um, and just, you know, thinking about prevention and longevity and sustainability and, you know, if there's a desire to live past 40, 50, 60, have a healthy, uh, marriage, have, uh, have a healthy, um, children, perhaps if you wish, and grandchildren and, you know, looking beyond the instant moment of gratification that we all go through, you know, go for and to so much, um, is really important. So prevention is the cure, you know, always thinking about your cells and thinking about your body and treating it well, saying thank you and not abusing it. Because I think that, you know, from emotional reasons for uh, psychological reasons, we can be our own best perpetrators. And that's something that physically our bodies take on and we, it, it can definitely contribute to problems down the road. So all of those things, just being mindful, more mindful as we grow up. I like so distinctly remember, you know, when you're in your late teens, early twenties, that feeling of just being like, I can do whatever I want and look like my body looks great. I have energy. I can sleep four hours a night. I can, you know, eat frozen yogurt for dinner, (laughs) like whatever it was. But, you know, you, that short sightedness though, I, I feel like in the back of my mind somewhere, I knew that like, this isn't sustainable or healthy, you know, some of these thoughts, but you just kind of put when you're young, I feel like that power of your mind to just push things aside to just have your right now is so, so strong. I actually feel like it's, it was stronger then than, you know, it's, it's been since then that, that, that in the moment feeling when you're so young is, is powerful, but I mean, enjoy it. I mean, enjoy that innocence, but, but stay mindful at the same time. I would say if you can do it, just know that it's going to hit different at 30 and 40 and 15. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Well, as much as we want to keep you forever, and I'm lucky that I do, I get to keep you for forever as my friend. (laughs) But uh, we would love to transition into something fun and just lighthearted that we like to bookend some of our interviews with. And that is our round of fast five questions. So are you ready? Let's go. Okay your favorite health or wellness product right now? Curcumin. Why? So turmeric. So uh, curcumin is is the active ingredient in turmeric. And because, so here's the deal. And here's why. Like, let's say you want to inhibit COX-2 inhibitor, right? Which is an inflammatory enzyme. A COX-2 inhibitor will do one thing. It will inhibit COX-2. Curcumin, which is, it's it's actually, it's a slang term for there's a family of curcuminoids. There's bistus demethoxy curcumin, there's demethoxy curcumin, there's curcumin. So those are the active medical ingredients, medicinal ingredients in turmeric, right? That horizontal tuber. It has the ability to touch on over 100 molecular sort of targets. So 
angiogenesis, um, anti-inflammatory, anti-cancer properties. Like, so like literally I can't think of a better thing for anybody to be on if they just want to be healthy. Like, the, so that is my answer. Next. Your favorite place in the world to go camping? I would have to say Catalina Island. Your go-to karaoke song? It would have to be Pure Pure League Amy. Amy, what you won't do. Nobody in your audience will understand that song, so they're going to have to spot it. it. (laughs) I guess this isn't as lighthearted as the others, but um, what is the most uh, damaging myth or trend in female health that you're seeing right now? You know, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. And it happened to me today. Um, I was talking to a doctor, a very esteemed doctor whom I love. And uh, he asked me if I was vaccinated or not. And I had to say no, because I said my oncologist doesn't, uh, doesn't want me to right now because my, he's, he, uh, I, I, I said, you know, that's what I said. And he said, the doctor I was talking to is referred to as a he, he said, well, why doesn't he? And he automatically thought that my doctor, because I said doctor, was a he. And I get it. But I said, well, she thinks, and he's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm like, nope, I do it myself. I think that we are so programmed into this patriarchal society. And I, I, am, not, I am not for being out of balance. I'm being for imbalance. But I think we've been so out of balance with, like there's even things where like, um, oh man, right? We say things like that, or I love you, man, or hey guys, like I do. So, so this, I honestly feel like this is one of the, I feel like there's these little micro oppressions that happen with just females. And, and I'm not advocating for like a, 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 a whole feminist movement where I'm advocating for balance, the yin and the yang, because I think that's where the sweet spot is. And I think that we've been living so oppressed in this patriarchal society for so long and we do it to ourselves. You know, I think I'll, 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 I'll also say that the other myth is that menopause is this place where you're like life halts and sexuality halts and that you start perpetrating yourself or like, oh, I, you know, menopausal moments or my menopausal middle or start getting down on yourself, where really it's one of the most profound transitions you can actually go through, right? So I think those two things are the things that get my attention the most. And they're very subtle, but I think they're very, very important. And I'm, you know, I have to catch myself too. There's a lot of times I remember being in practice, you know, where I was seeing seven, eight, 10 patients a day and people would come in and, and talk about their doctors. And I, I would say just he, and it's, it's a habit of all of ours. And it just, we just need to raise our consciousness around it. Um, I think those pronouns are extremely important these days, um, but mostly also for um, getting us back to uh, a female and male balance from the energy perspective of this world surviving a little bit better. Absolutely. Okay. What thing or things are you most looking forward to in the next six months? Uh, So I think more time behind my diagnosis. I think the tincture of time is really healing for people. So that's something Um, I'm looking forward to, I think, leaving this pandemic and hopefully realizing a little bit of how we came through the Spanish flu and having the roaring 20s where there's been so much division over so many things where we can maybe just like hold hands and dance in the streets together and really come together as a as a nation, as a world 
Um, I'm looking forward to more of that and I want to do everything that I can to contribute to that. Um, I, I have felt, felt so sad about how many divisive, you know, there, how much divisiveness has gone on for whatever reason. Um, and then, then the miscommunications and like the digging in that people do and that we're all humans. And I want to go back to that theory that we're all connected and we just really need to wrap our minds around that and our, our hearts around that and our arms around that. And so to be honest with you, if that could happen in the next six months, like that's what I would look forward to the most. Where can people um, find you, uh, get in touch with you, learn from you? What's the best place to go? Um, I think LinkedIn probably would be the best. Maybe send me a note through there. I think I, I'm, I'm sort of rejiggering some of my online presence. Um, so, uh, but you know, also if anybody has a question or needs needs me immediately, I, I, I can give you my email address, which is just Dr. Holly at drhollylucille.com. And I'm pretty darn responsive to that. So um, anything I can do to help, I would love to, except I, I can't give medical advice to anybody who's not a registered patient of mine. It's just against the law. So I'd say that too. And you have a podcast, right? A podcast called Mindful Medicine. Uh, it drops, I think, every Tuesday on iTunes, Radio MD, iHeartRadio, all that stuff. Amazing. Well, we love you. This was so much. Fun. I love you. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. And um, thank you for the work that you are doing. There's always help and community out there. And you, you two are definitely uh, spearheading that. So I so appreciate it. Thank you so much. We have one final question that we like to end with, if we can. Um, and I would just love to know the answer. Um, if you were to look back on your teen self, what's one attribute that you had, but that you didn't see the value in then that you appreciate so much more now that you're an adult? Being able to turn inward and know how much I, I love myself and that I deserve that love and, you know, could take care of myself better you know, and just really care for myself better. Uh, that would, that would be the big thing. You know, it's just like, like, I, I love you, little Holly. You're a, you're superstar. You're a rock star. You're, you're funny and um, loving and, you know, certainly didn't mean any harm out there. And like, I would have said that to my little self over and over and over again. Now I'm crying. So I'm going to go. Yeah, but, well, thank you so much for your time. Um, we so appreciate it. And that's our show. If you liked what you heard today, please like, subscribe to, follow, and share Meet Bridget with your circle. The best way to help our work here is to rate and review our podcast. We're listening and constantly working to build something helpful for you. Catch you next time. Did you have an awesome time? Did you drink awesome shooters and listen to awesome music and then just sit around and soak up each other's awesomeness?